Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Jimmy Bartell, and this week's guest has an impressive playing CV featuring three premierships, four All-Australians, one club best and fairest, and a recent Hall of Fame inductee. And that's before we even mention his coaching credentials. My former assistant coach of the Cats, Nigel Lappin. In this podcast, I discuss with Nigel, Lee Matthews, Bomber Thompson and Chris Scott, Broken Ribs and Jason Ackermanis, and being part of the Fab Four. We had a really tight-knit whole team, let alone midfield group. It was a pleasure to play with every one of those players, not just the stars. An integral member of the Lions' famed Fab Four, Nigel was renowned for avoiding the limelight and letting his footy speak for itself. But I bailed him up to learn firsthand how the son of a butcher in Country Vic comes to win three flags in the Brisbane Lions' most successful era. Then returned to regional Victoria to coach at the Mighty Cats for another two flags as an assistant coach. We're talking footy. Well, welcome, Nigel. For me, it's great to be back in Geelong, so thanks for having me down. Um, grew up in um, in Chiltern, Victoria, the nice northeast. Born in Corowa. Yes. So, uh, northeast Victoria, son of a butcher. Yep. But the famous Lappin family. Tell, tell us about growing up in Chiltern and being part of the enormous Lappin family. Yeah, well, um, Dad's father uh, was one of seven boys, I think, and most of those boys had um, children and, and, again, mostly boys, and they all lived in the town. So I remember... Uh, my first memories growing up as a Lappin was going to watch a grand final side with 11 Lappins playing. 11 in the, in the side. Yeah. All, all, there, was, there was four sets of cousins and then there, one of the uh, other Lappins was, uh, one of the other cousins was a trainer and one was um, one of the coaches. So it was pretty amazing. I, I idolised all my uncles in particular and mm-hmm. grew up watching them play footy. They're all really good players. Pretty hard footy back in those days. It was. It was very tough and they've certainly got that rep, rep, uh, sorry, they've got that rep Reputation. My um, my family is being all sort of tough footballers, bush footballers, as as most of the, those guys were up that up that way, mate. In the did, bush. Did you play any senior footy for Chilton before you ended up at the, at the Bears at that stage? Yeah, I did. Um, I was sort of fortunate enough. Um, my mum and dad didn't hold me back with that type of stuff. They wanted me to, to play against men as early as I could. That's what dad did. Like I think dad and his brothers all played senior footy at fourteen. Um, and I played as a 15-year-old uh, for, for Chilton and then had two years in the, in the seniors um, before getting drafted. We lost two, uh, two grand finals, actually, Jim, before I oh, really? moved to Brisbane. That was disappointing. Um, you, I know you really well and you're incredibly all-rounded sportsman. Um, cricket, was cricket ever in... Um, a pathway for you because you're actually a very handy cricketer. Uh, look, I loved cricket as a younger guy. I was probably the mental side of, of cricket and even just individual sport for me. I was probably um, I was a perfectionist, so mm. I got really frustrated with individual sports. So um, footy was always going to be my pathway because I got to share that uh, with with other mates who could help me through the tough times. But I, I did love it. Number number two draft pick in 1993. Obviously, we see all the massive focus on drafts and. Um, even players once they've played a few years and that, and that want to come home. But you're from Chilton, Victoria, very country town, but you get drafted number two to Brisbane. What was that like? Uh, to be honest, mate, I was really... Uh, I was humbled getting drafted at uh, number two. I, Who was number one that year? Can you Darren Gasper was Darren number Gasper, one. Darren Gasper, yeah, number one. And I, I, um, I didn't actually think I'd get drafted. I know that might sound stupid, but I, I played footy for Chilton, didn't play. Murray Bush Rangers had just come in. I didn't play for the Bushies. was fortunate enough to play in the then Teal Cup. Um, and got picked in the All-Australian team, but I still didn't realise that that would get me drafted. So, um, look, to get the opportunity to play with any AFL club, um, I was honoured to get that opportunity. And, and in the end, mate, it turned out it was the best thing for me, moving to, to Brisbane. It was like a big country town anyway, away from the hype. Were you, were you aware of Brisbane's interest or did someone come and, you know, they, we hear lots of players go, oh, they had the lounge room chat before a draft or was yeah. there any of that for you? Yeah, well, Scott Clayton came down and had a chat. Um, and um, one of the Sydney recruiters came down and had a chat because they had a pick not long after Brisbane. But every other club sort of just had a chat to a few of them on the phone, mate. But it was, yeah, it was good. As I said, mate, it was a really good fit for me. Um, moved to a, a really small sort of city that was like a big country town and and there was no sort of footy hype around Brisbane. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Brisbane, uh, you know, 93, 94... Um, bit of the bad news bears a Absolutely. bit. They were still trying to establish themselves. What, what, was, what was it like going to a city that, you know, 
football was you know maybe second or even third thought for a lot of sporting fans up there yeah so for me like I played footy firstly just because I I love football and I always had a dream of playing the AFL as I said before I wasn't sure that I'd get drafted so to get given the opportunity at any club I was going to take it um, I had some great mentors at, at the time like Roger Merritt was our captain yeah. and he was a great man um, he was really hard on us young kids but fair at the mm. same time and Wolsey was the same as our coach he was he was a wonderful coach, really good tactician, but at the same time showed genuine care for us young players and, and was really hard on us, worked yeah. us really hard and built that resilience in the group. And 1995 already, a couple of years in, you, you played in their very first final side. Mm -hmm. uh, young side, as you said, with obviously you know, Merritt and a couple of other experienced guys. What was that like for not only yourself and the club, but also being in Brisbane today? They embrace you, throw their arms around you? Yeah, absolutely. They were really excited um, at that time. Footy was starting to get bigger. Like the Gabba, um, the crowds back then, I think it, the ground only seated about 15,000 and part of that was standing room with the old hill. Um, and it was a really good place to play footy and, and we started to pack the stadium out. We started to play really well at the end of 90, 1995 and... Um, yeah, it was, it was a very exciting time for us. I remember playing Carlton in that first final with a really powerful team. And for us as young players, we had a lot of uh, first-time finals players in the team who went on to, to be in the premiership years and that helped shape us and, and give us a taste of what it was all about. What was your... Uh, what are the experiences or memories you have of that? Because, you, as we know, you go on and you play a stack of finals. But your first final series, what was that like? Yeah, um, oh, it was just really exciting. I remember sitting in the pub um, just in South Brisbane just waiting to see whether we got into the finals because it came down to the last game, similar to what Melbourne were doing the other week. We had to wait to see whether we got in and we were fortunate enough to get in and we were just all really excited first time that the, the Bears had had a chance to play in the finals. So I remember playing on... Uh, Ange Christou that oh, day. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was a very good player. At, <laughs> oh, it was at, he was yeah. right at the height of his powers and um, respected him a lot as an opponent. And I played on him um, a little bit earlier in the year, and and he sort of um, he allowed me. To, he played a little bit loose on me that day and allowed Threw me to get the leg rope on you. He did, <laughs> but then he certainly didn't do that in the finals. He cleaned me up, and it was really, as I said, really good experience. Helped me uh, understand what it was going to take to be a good finals player. Did you get the big pep talk from, you know, you talked about Merritt, he's come from, you know, the Essendon sides were very yep. powerful through the 80s. Did he ever grab all you young blokes aside and explain what finals footy's are like? Yeah, he did, but mostly what he said is he just spoke to us was what he expected from us and it was just to, to be competitive um, and when it was your turn to, turn to stand up, you needed to, but at the same time embrace it because hopefully the club over the next, you know, 10 years we're going to have some, some success. And um, he just wanted to be there with us, and he said, put his arm around us, and said, "Look, if if any trouble happens, I'll be there for you." So, oh, that's good. Yeah, well, yeah. I can imagine he'd be right there when, when <laughs> he loved it. Yeah, when He's a good man. Rough. Yeah, interesting time in 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 the Bears, and obviously with Fitzroy um, and the merger. As a player, were you involved in any of the discussions that you know the Bears were going to eventually absorb the Lions and become the Brisbane Lions? What was it like for a player thinking, obviously, two clubs to become one? Yeah, it's obviously a commercial decision for both of the clubs. Um, we didn't want it to happen um, as as a Brisbane Bears at that stage because we just started to establish ourselves, just got into the finals. But looking back, it was a fantastic move for, for both clubs, kept the um, Lions legacy alive, mm. obviously down here in Melbourne and, and strengthened our team with some of the players that came up. And we had a few players that didn't necessarily play a lot of footy but helped us a lot. A guy like Brad Boyd, for example, yeah. the leadership that he brought to the club, um, and just his calming nature and influence was really important. And you ended up getting guys like um, Chris Johnson, who oh, just ended up being a superstar for us. So. Yeah. And then eventually Martin Pike. Absolutely, uh, eventually yeah. Came through. Yeah, and just and, and Lynchy. Yeah. Um, and those guys, you know, brought some of that Fitzroy culture uh, with them. Ross Lyon came up for a while as well. So we're really fortunate to, have to play with some really good players that come from Fitzroy and, and helped us keep that culture alive. That's a good point you touch on. Do you feel once you became the Lions that you actually felt like a genuine football clubs that makes sense when I ask absolutely like, instead of being you know the startup you've or, you know, you absorbed history but you absorbed a culture of a footy club as well yeah definitely and, and even just coming down to we we obviously would travel to Melbourne a little bit um, you know 10 times a year um, early on and play some footy and, and to have that support behind us when we come to Melbourne was was enormous so that certainly helped us through those years where we were building into that that really good successful premiership team you made the transition pretty quick because you guys played finals in 97. So yep. Um, yep. How, how did you see that year? Um, obviously, that was a really exciting mm -hmm. year. Um, we we so 
a lot of the younger players that had developed under Wolsey were, were coming through at, at that stage um, under John Norley and and really built some momentum and were playing some really good footy and sometimes our teams get there a little bit earlier than than what you expected similar to Geelong in 2004 if you remember Jim yeah. Mike you're a really good young team they get a taste of it and they, they just want to get better and then it took us a couple of years to really establish ourselves after that you played pretty much from the outset like once you got to Brisbane you just played did you have a, a mentor or, um, or a senior player that you often bounced ideas off or you shadowed in the gym because your transition into AFL, or AFL VFL football was just immediate. Yeah, I had a, a number of those. Like, I was fortunate to start with a group of players. The year that I came, there was probably seven or eight of the players that came through and played in the premiership teams together, and we partied hard, but at the same time, we all trained hard together. So, so some of those names that you all yeah. came through with, like Leppage and Lepage, Voss. Scott, and, um, Fossey. Yeah. Um, Nathan Chapman was there at the time, and he was a really big influence on yeah. us. Craig McRae. Clark um, Keating was a Clark Keating, local yeah. one, wasn't he? Yeah, and mm. he's a great mate of mine still. So Simon Black came a couple of years later. So a lot of those players came through and played together and we really shaped, helped shape the culture. But guys like, um, at the time, Michael McLean yeah. was one of the senior players. Roger Merritt was there early on as well and they passed on their knowledge and experience to us. But Craig Lambert was a really big mentor for all the younger guys. So him and his wife really took us in and, and treated us like... He uh, still does that now in AFL. He does, yeah, yeah. The adopted parents they were and... and and they really looked after us and helped us through some tough times. 96, 97, 99, state of origin, the big V. Um, unbelievable memories to, to mix with the greats of the game. Yeah, it was pretty daunting and pretty scary as well. Like As you can imagine, like um, you've got some roots back up in my area as well. And um, a boy from northeast Victoria grew up idolising the likes of Lockett and, <laughs> and Dunstall and... And all, all I know Dunster wasn't playing for the for Victoria at that stage, but Gary Ablett was. Um, and just walking into the rooms with those two guys at training, I was... What, what were your thoughts? Uh, you know, trying to kick the Gary Ablett senior on the lead? Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Tony and Gary didn't play in the game that I played. They pulled out with injury late. Um, but I got to play with some some other great mm. players and, and met some really good people. I, mate, to be honest, I was very nervous and didn't say much at all. So Anyone surprise you? Like you obviously, when you play against guys, you, you have this preconceived idea and then you, know, you, you get a chance to spend a week at max with them. Is yeah. anyone you just think, geez, I would have loved to play actually more footy in his side? Well, as someone you got a chance to play with is, uh, I remember Gary Hocking just yeah. being very welcoming with me and he was one of the first guys that came over and um, and just said hello and that just eases the nerves really quickly um, and said welcome to the team and you deserve to be here and um, looking forward to playing with you and that helped me a lot so just the few days that we got to train together I sort of just watched how he went about it and, and just admired how tough he was and how not only just how tough but how well he knew the game and how skillful he was. Do you miss the big V on, on the footy calendar? Do you do you wish for State of Origin to come back in some sort of form? Yeah absolutely I think most people um, love watching those types of game like even just watching the, the women's game the other night like trying to get the best of the best together and, and watching them do their thing I think um, any chance the AFL can get to do that, they should look at it. It's just for me, it's just where it fits in the calendar. I think for the players too, the ability, the, sorry, the opportunity for them to be able to test themselves against the best. It's, I think that's what most people want. You know, as a competitor, yeah. you want to you want to go out there and and play against the best. No, you you do, and it goes back to our point. Look, you know, just to spend a week with with really really good players, and you almost you're trying to drain them of knowledge, Absolutely. aren't you? You're yep. just trying to work out, hang on, how do they do it better? And yep. you almost add it to your mental notebook, don't you? Spot on. It's such a good opportunity to learn. Yeah, you sort of almost wish that uh, if there was an under-24 version, so then you know, the players at your club could learn from other clubs, it'd be a great concept. I think it? any of those concepts would it'd work really well. Another one which you got to play in is uh, the international rules. Did you play that in Australia or in Ireland? Uh, unfortunately, I only got the opportunity to play in, in Australia. Yeah. I still had a great time. It was a really yeah. good experience. Unfortunately for me, I, I got to the end of uh, a lot of my years and needed surgery, so I never got the opportunity. When I was all Australian, I never got the opportunity to play, only that one year. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And as you said, just getting to spend time with other like-minded people and, and meet some um, guns of the game yeah. and learn from what they do was, was really exciting, not... Um, to mention the fact of representing your country, something that's very, very special. There's two points you brought up there. The first one, surgeries. If, you, if you've had a lot of surgeries, how did you get back so well? Because you played, had a huge career and, like I said, you barely missed any football. Um, talk us through some of the surgeries or operations. A lot of people are unaware of, you know, sort of 
the toll that your body goes through. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was probably fortunate enough. Um, for me, it wasn't so much soft tissue stuff. I, di- I didn't ha- do many hamstrings or quads or anything like that. It was it was more for me just the joints got a little bit battered um, and needed a few operations at the end of the year. So not stuff that kept me from playing until at the end of my career where I broke a couple of ankles in a row. Um, but it's just something that you do, mate. You've been through it every week. And I grew up uh, with a family who who was very, uh, very tough and they were very hard on me from a young age that you just that you can play through pain and, and you get used to it and it's just a mental thing. Like you just prepare yourself for it and yep. accept that you're going to f- not feel perfect on the day but it, it's about the actions and about the uh, what you display. The, the other one you brought up at the point was you're all Australian. You're part of the famous Fab Four, which um, firstly, what was that like playing a majority of your career with you know, in the midfield, Voss, Black, Akamanis and Lappin, tongue in cheek. Who robbed you of the Brownlow out of those ones? Because the other three got a Brownlow. But what you, do you know, what you have on them is you're the only one to be the All Australian in all three Premiership years. Oh, thanks for that. Jim. Yeah, so I didn't can, even know that. There, there you go. You can go rub that into them. But yeah, I'll what, text Fossey this afternoon. You, you better text him and say <laughs> you, you robbed me of a Brownlow, but I got the All Australian. But you know, do you sit back now and you think? Um, how great it was to, to play or be known as the Fab Four. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, you throw a few other players in there as well. Like, we had a lot of... Uh, we were able to play a lot of footy together and teams that play a lot of footy together, like um, the Cats teams, mate, with you in 08, 09 and 11. Like, you just... You build that cohesion with your teammates. You know what they're going to do. It's almost you have that sixth sense because you've played so much footy together. So, and what we did at the Lions was we complemented each other really well. Yeah. So... Blackie and Vossi were obviously your inside mids. They're hard ball winners. Um, and then they'd feed guys like Acker and I on the outside. And and then you throw in Sean Hart who just and Brad Scott, those types of players that come in and played in the midfield, Marcus Ashcroft, that just played their roles. It, we had a really tight-knit um, whole team, let alone midfield group. It was a pleasure to play with every one of those players, not just the stars. Here's Lucas, caught by Black. They pounce on him. Barnard. An errant hand pass. It finishes with Black takes it from Notting. Black goes down towards the 50, over the head of McRae, over the head of Lynch, flicked down again towards Lappin. Voss tries to go through, can't quite. The handball to Lappin was good. The left foot's not oh. It's terrific. It's a goal from nowhere. Voss the architect, Lappin the finisher. I find it myself, you know, when, you know, through my Geelong Premiership years, I, people go, who's the best player and things like that. But it... Often I get asked, who's the player that we probably don't speak about enough in the premiership years? And for me, I always bring up the likes of a Dave Wojcinski who played 200 yep. games that year or you know, Tom Harley gets forgotten about that he was an All-Australian. Is there anyone in the, in the Lions era do you think probably people need to speak a little bit more about because you were with them day to day? Yeah, if you've got the time, mate, it's probably different guys in different lines. Yeah. So, for example, we had a, a guy like Chris Scott who was a... Um, Best and fairest winner as a midfielder, but sacrificed, not sacrificed, but invested in the team and went back and played key position defence as a five yeah. foot tenner, mate. Yeah. Um, that didn't get heralded as yeah. much as what he does. Guys like Marcus Ashcroft, who just played on the best player in the opposition's team in their forward line every week. Um, you go to the midfield and Sean Hart was almost like the glue for that midfield. And yeah. not to mention a guy like Martin Pike, just the experience that Pikey brought to our team. And, and, a, bit of, and a bit of fear factor. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he was very intimidating. And uh, he was even intimidating in a Legends game. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, he's a, he's a great man yeah. and he was really important to our group. Um you go through a lot. A guy like Darrell White again in defence who... Whitey could have played in any position and been a star. Well, he pretty much played in the ruck for one premiership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you go up to the forward line and it was guys like um, Craig McRae. Like, Craig McRae's role in our team was just to put pressure on. Like, Lee used to say to him every week, I don't care if you touch the ball or not. Um, his nickname was Fly, so yeah. he'd say, Fly, I don't care whether you touch the ball. Your job is to get underneath the big bloke's feet. If they bring it to the ground, then great, you'll crumb. But most of the time, Braddy and Lynchy and, <laughs> and Brownie just marked it. So guys like that who just who really invested in the team that you take your hat off to allowed us good, uh, or not so much everyone was a good player, but it allowed the so-called stars to do what they did. You're probably one of the most team-orientated people I know. So... When you finish in 2001, 2002 and 2003 premierships, how, how do you reflect on those? Oh, just really just really proud um, of what we were able to achieve as a, as a team. Um, there's a lot of individuals that come and go through through footy. We were very fortunate at 
Brisbane just to play with so many competitive blokes. It's like, again, I um, I use the Geelong team as a comparison. So you guys, Jim, you just wanted to win. You had that will to win and you knew when the when it came to the crunch you were never going to let yourselves down and, and lose. So I was fortunate enough to play with, with that type of team. Do you think that's born out of, you know, often it's spoken about in footy, character, or is it trained the environment set up with, you know, Lee Matthews putting those people together and the drills and the constant, you know, sort of battering at training alone? Yeah, I think I think it's both. Um, so a little bit. And um, what, you, what you can't have any control on over the players are their formative years. Obviously, from zero to 17, that shapes the, with a, your personality a fair bit and your behavioural traits. So it's trying to bring together guys in, like that to a really successful team. I think um, recruiters in the past have done a really good job at that. I know Bomber had a really big hand in your draft, Jim, yeah. um, and they're the type of people he wanted in the footy club. And I know that that's what Wolsey wanted yeah. at the time. And, and then through that training, he helped build resilience. Some of the drills that we used to do with Wolsey were just madness. You wouldn't be allowed to do for OH&S reasons were, these were days. Were you part of the Strempel training? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't, <laughs> but we, we did one similar to that. I remember doing a, if I'm allowed to say yeah. it, a drill with Wolsey one day where he felt like one of the players in the team, he showed a bit of vision of it, didn't come back hard enough with the flight of the ball. So the next week at training, um, every player had to do one where he'd kick the ball over your head and Roger Merritt was... <laughs> Roger Merritt? He was just steaming out of full forward and he's allowed to do whatever he wanted to. Oh, no. So if uh, if you got through that one, um, you could get through anything. And anyone come off hurt? I'm sure they did. Yeah, they just couldn't show it because they'd probably make him do it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spot on. We'd be all doing 400. <laughs> um, I'm going to embarrass you now because... 2004 Lions best and fairest individually. Um, you've been brilliant throughout your career, but that recognition of a best and fairest. Why was that year so special for you individually? Um, that's a really good question. I, I never really played. Do you feel that's your best year? Because some people would like even when they win a best and fairest, if you ask them, they could go, well, that was obviously a great year. I won it, but I felt like this year was better or that year was better. Yeah. Well, that, that was my most consistent year in terms of... Um, a lot of the years before that, I was um, a bits and pieces midfielder. So probably up until 2001, even through 2001, I played mainly as a, a half forward and that would uh, change with Vossi whenever Vossi needed a rest as a midfielder. And then 2004, I was definitely well established as a midfielder. I had a, a lot of other guys that were injured throughout the year and that was probably one of the years where I just played every game, mate. So 2002 was probably my what I felt was my best year where I was really on top of my game. But I ended up missing sort of six weeks through the middle of the year with a with a, a quad strain. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was really proud of that year. Um, obviously, we were successful as a team. Didn't get the ultimate success. Port smashed us in the final in the last half. But, yeah, it was, it was probably my most consistent year. Co-captain, 2007-2008, it was captaincy something that you felt comfortable with or did you feel like you had to change your persona or your on-field personality to no, fit it? I don't think you need to. Like at the time um, the club chose, I think there was uh, four captains I think at, at one stage for the club. It might have even been that year um, with Brownie, Chris Johnson and Luke Power and myself um, and Blackie. Actually there might have been more. So Sorry, I've just <laughs> given five names. But... <laughs> But um, just at, at that time, some of those guys were younger and, and were emerging leaders and Lee just wanted me to be part of that group. And for me, the message wasn't so much that you have to change, it's just go out and try and do what you do. And I, I thought, and I still think that way um, to this day, some guys have got the capacity to be able to bring a group together um, through their voice and, and what they say. With me, it was never so much how I articulated things, it was more about trying to lead by example and, and how I trained and how I prepared. and and um, on game day just trying to be at your best as much as you could be. Well, you certainly are a maniac trainer. You still train like a madman now. Oh, I was a good witness to that. But I've got uh, I've got some issues. <laughs> it's just like I have to train. You're insane, actually. You're actually yeah. borderline insane with your training. Being a, a senior figure at this stage of your career and, and especially through those premiership years, um, how much did it bother you? Obviously, a lot was made that, that grand final you went in with a bag of broken ribs, yep. and, you know, Acker comes out and just tells the world. 
you know. I actually found it. I found it quite amusing. Like it, yeah. yeah, it sort of kind of broke the pressure a little bit because sometimes in the, in those weeks, yeah, you kind of wonder like, oh, I wonder how much Collingwood know and wonder if, whether it was going to leak. Well, it didn't take long. The mm. packer just told everyone um, early in the week. So it kind of took a bit of the pressure off for me. I didn't really think about it too much, Jim, to be honest, because it was, it was all about preparing and trying to get myself right for the game. Um, the hard thing for me, I think I've, I've probably mentioned this in the media a little bit, the hard thing for me was um, if I was going to miss the game, um, Scotty was going to play and Scotty was one of my closest mates through... Uh, my time at Brisbane and still is today. So that was one of the hardest things, just making that decision. Am I going to let the team down, that fear of failure, as mm. opposed as opposed to um, knowing that Lee was really keen for me to play and go out and do my best? And I wanted to play too, mate. Like, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. imagine what it was like. That, it, that There was a little bit of anxiety around that. But at the end of the day, you just you accept that and you go out there and play. And I was fortunate enough that Blackie just dominated that day. He, he, didn't he dominate? He, he had that much. Well, Aka kicked. I think Aka kicked five or six. Well, Aka thinks he should have won the Norm Smith, <laughs> but, um, but they both were brilliant on on the day anyway. So not taking anything away from both of them. How, it was a great team performance. A great team performance. <laughs> but how late was the decision made? Was it we we always knew you know the Lions had come and they'd do a training run at the Albert up in Melbourne. Was yep. there a last minute, you know, bump into bags or tackle someone or, you know, bump into Lee Matthews like bumping into a brick wall test? Yeah, I, I had one of the players, oh, sorry, actually Gubby Allen warned me that um, in a previous year that Lee had actually flattened one of the Collingwood yeah, players. Yeah, he did and that's what, that's what we reminded <laughs> me of. So I was, I was on my guard um, looking out for Lee at that training session but uh, Aaron Shaddock was, Shaddock, sorry, was sent out to do a fitness test with me and, and put me through um, a pretty gruelling fitness did you, test. Did you say he'd look after you? No, no. <laughs> which, well, Shats was one of the emergencies as well and we just needed to, to make sure that I was right to play. Um, I remember after, I got through that, that session pretty pretty well. It's just I felt a little bit ordinary um, that night and the next morning um, and, and, yeah, it sort of took probably an hour up to maybe even 40 minutes before the game that um, I just went to Lee and said, I think I'm right to go and that's all that he needed. He, I think he was getting a bit frustrated because he just wanted to know, which yeah. which you would as a coach. Like, Did you jab or was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we, um, yeah. we were fortunate enough. We had a uh, pain specialist come down from Brisbane um, who did some jabs on me earlier in the week and did a really good job. So the club just flew him down yeah. and he did the same thing for me before the game. Oh, wow. Um, now time to reflect uh, on, on your playing days. Does any premiership mean more or less or because they, they're all one in different circumstances yeah they're all really special 2001 our first premiership was probably uh, the most special because as I mentioned before came through with the same group of players that you're playing with um, from the age of 17 so there was probably seven or eight of those guys um, the club had obviously been from the Bears and you mentioned it before the club wasn't that strong when I first got there so to be able to turn things around in a reasonably short amount of time. Um, the other thing was Essendon was such a powerful team um, through 2000 and 2001 and to be able to knock them off and establish ourselves. And then probably 2002 was was fantastic to win, but the third one in 2003 was really special as well because it hadn't been done for a long time. Do you feel like you guys had the edge on Collingwood even going into those grand finals? You thought we mentally might have them, they might... I'm yeah. sure some of the other players yeah. felt that way. I, yeah. I never necessarily did. I just, you take, um, yeah, just I always had the philosophy that if we don't play well, any team can beat us on the day. So I, those sorts of things I never used to worry about, but I'm sure some of our players thought they had the edge over them. Hi, sorry to interrupt. Emily Angwin here. I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Michael Barlow. And I get emotional and pretty stirred up. Probably, I probably do get my back up because I'm getting pretty emotional about talking about it now because we've got good people there from Lynch and May to Solomon to Mark Evans who's come in and he said it's not turn it all on its head and start again. We've got so much positivity in that place to be able to, to create something special. Chris Fagan. It's funny, I, I jump off a plane now and it's not an airport and you see people pointing, oh, that's the coach at Brisbane. You know, when you go to Brisbane, no one knows who the coach at Brisbane is. That'd be nice. <laughs> it is good. Brendan McCarthy. Ryan deciding to leave you know, for whatever reason. I'm still probably a little bit in the dark, to be honest on it. But I respect the fact that as a grown man, he made a decision that 
seems that was the tipping point. Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review. It's easy. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy Podcast and give us a rating. Also, feel free to let us know who you want to hear from next on Twitter using the hashtag TalkingFootyPod. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to it. 2008, you retired. Um, how did you come to think, well, this is my time? Because you, you weren't that old to retire. And you, as we know, you're an incredibly well-prepared person for on the field. Yeah, yeah. So it was an interesting one, actually, because the, the back end of 2008, uh, or actually pretty much all 2008, I had a really good 2007. And then 2008, I had a Achilles problem, started in the pre-season. And I was someone who just wouldn't uh, have a rest and try and get the injury right. I just kept training through it. And I got to the point um, in about round four, I think, where my Achilles just couldn't stand being in boots anymore. So I went to have a few weeks off and that few weeks off turned into the rest of the year, couldn't get the Achilles right. Um, But for me, it wasn't so much um, a body issue. Like I thought I could get my body right because I I was always a really good preparer. It was just probably the energy that I um, expended over my career. I I was a perfectionist and... Um, wanted to be the best player I could be the whole way through my career and I probably got to the point where I felt like oh, I'm just not um, playing the way that I'd like to play and to the level that I'd like to play and I, I just always wanted to be one of the best players um, in the team. Um, I thought that was my role and trying to help the team. But looking back in hindsight, Jim, if I could have accepted just playing a role within the team, um, I could have played for a few more years but I was the type of person that just didn't want to play a role. I just wanted to be at my best. Yeah, that's if, fair enough. If that made sense. Yeah, so. it does. It certainly does. And... When you, you leave the Lions, um, they transition into your post-footy. Uh, you obviously joined the Cats in 08 in, in October, so pretty quick after. Was mm-hmm. coaching always a passion of yours while you were playing? Did you say think, well, I'm, that'll be the where I go once I finish playing? No, it wasn't. Um, I What I learned in the last couple of years at the Lions that I just love mentoring. So when footy finished up for me, I'd always thought I'd stay involved in footy at, at some point level, whether it go back to the country and, and give a bit back to grassroots um, or try and be involved in an academy program at one of the AFL clubs. And I remember Lee saying to me, Nige, you've got all the uh, attributes to be a decent assistant coach. You've got good empathy. Um, you know the game reasonably well and, and you've got credibility. Um, so he said, look, if it's something... I was similar. He said, until you finish footy, you don't really think about what's next. Yeah. Um, he said, I, I sh- you should seriously think about it. And Geelong gave me a call and I thought I'd go down and meet them. And when I come down here, we're probably sitting in this very room, even though it's been revamped, Jim, um, with the assistant coaches. And I just got a really good feel um, when I left uh, that room about the footy club. And I know they were interviewing some other other high-profile players that had just retired. And those guys ended up taking positions at other clubs, which meant that um, Macker and Bomber gave me a call and said, hey, would you like to do it? And I was just so fortunate because it's just been a really enjoyable nine years of my life. Yeah, well, and you brought up Macker and Bomber. Love to get your thoughts because there's some unique individuals that you came <laughs> and joined. Yeah, they're good mates of mine as well, so I can say that. So you came, and Bomber Thompson, Ken Hinckley, Brendan McCartney and Brenton Sanderson. Yeah. They've all gone on to be senior coaches and all unique in their own way and different. Yep. each one of them have different philosophies on football. So different philosophies and different yeah. strengths. So I was able to learn a hell of a lot. Um, when I first came in, I was very raw as a coach. Uh, we were at a really simple game style at Brisbane and we were coached that way. And I knew the basics of what it took to be a good successful um, team and, and potentially a premiership team but some of the strategy that, that the Cats used to use was pretty cutting edge and, and training methods so I learned a lot from all of those guys. Ken and and, um, and Macca in particular really took me under their wing and mentored me through some tough times. It was a tough transition my first six months. Um, also learned a hell of a lot from Sando about the way that he presented and the way that he built relationships and then with Bomber just just his ability game day just to, to see the game and and to know what was really important, um, he was exceptional at that. So I was very fortunate, mate. Well, while we're talking coaches, let's go through your coaches in your career. You've had yep. some all-time greats and some big personalities. Yep. So 91 to 95, you had Robert Walls and he gave you the nickname Bushy. So when you first came, <laughs> Robert Walls, your, your thoughts on Robert Walls? I love Walls. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about the, the nickname. We were playing uh, at Optus Oval one day and we got smashed by, uh, oh, I think it was Carlton at the time. Again, they were at the height of their powers in the mid-90s. And um, he came off the ground and 
he he went around to every individual and told them what he thought about them and how they played oh, that day. Peer assessed you straight <laughs> yeah, he away. Did, he did. He, he was he was good at that. But no, as I said before, he was always hard, but he was fair. So he's the we should credit him being the original leading teams, but a one man leading team. Absolutely, oh, he yeah. was he was brilliant. And uh, as Rob knows, he's a good mate of mine. Of I hold him in very high esteem. But Wolsey, he came to he came to me and he goes, "Have a look at you." He goes, <laughs> "You weigh about seventy five kilos. You got your jumper out, your socks down. You just look like a." He didn't know what to say, and he just come out with bloody bushy. <laughs> so I got that nickname for a while after that. But he was, as I said before, mate. Like Wolsey was very good tactically. Um, he understood what it took to be um, part of a successful team. Obviously, with his time um, coaching and playing. And he was very hard on the group, but he was driving us group to, to build us, build our resilience. And he knew that that's what was needed. He knew he had a talented group of young men that he wanted to turn into a really successful team. So so could you credit some of the that early 2000s success with him building the platform? Yeah, I do, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yep. that's fair enough. And then he almost did a trading places with, with John Northy. So yep. they, they swapped clubs, you know, one... Wolsey went to Richmond and Northy up the lines. Well, it's only there for two, two years, Swooper. Yep. So what Swoop bought um, with him, so with Wolsey, um, we were, uh, had a, a lot of probably boundaries is the right word under Wolsey, so a game style that he was pretty set in the way that we wanted to play. When John came, he sort of freed up the shackles a little bit and allowed us to play with a little bit more freedom. So that first year under John that you were talking about, no, first couple of years, sorry, mm. we had really successful years under John. Um and, yeah, the players really enjoyed. Like he, um, as you and I used to do out in the footy ground, mate, he'd come with me at the end of training and do 15 barrels, you know, and <laughs> he'd have us around to his place and he, he really spent a lot of time building the relationships. Unfortunately, in the end, um, you know, when I talk about the boundaries with, that Wolsey put in place, it probably w- wasn't enough with, with John and the club sort of, yeah, probably was a little bit under him in the last cup or last, his last little bit, probably just didn't quite have the, the leadership that the, that the group needed at the time and that's what Lee bought with him. Um, he was a fantastic manager of men. Um, he really built autonomy in, in the group and, and said, look, this is your group and you need to take charge of where you want to go. He always built our competence as, as players as well because he'd talk to us about our roles and he'd acknowledge you when you played your roles yep. and right down to the, the last person on the list. He'd so let everyone felt important. Absolutely. Yeah. He was very good at that. And then just even just the relatedness as well, like um, just how important it was for us as a team. He built that us versus them mentality and, and just made everyone care for each other and stick up for each other. And the senior players were very good at being able to nurture that as well. So you, you started to touch on Lee and because Lee Matthews, then Mark Thompson and then Chris Scott, your yep. next three coaches you've been involved with, obviously as a player and then assistant coaches. Yep. You, collected five premierships under these guys. Lee Matthews, when even as far to describe you, is the perfect player because he won his own ball, used it well and worked hard to regain it from the opposition. So you've got a guy who's you know, voted number one player of all time and one of the hardest blokes in football thinks you're the perfect player. How does that feel? Uh, yeah, no, look, that's very nice for Lee. We had a great relationship, Lee and I. Um, early on in my career, I was probably more of a flashy attacking player um, that just sort of played on the outside and was a finisher as a half forward and then when I went into the midfield Lee, Lee just said look we, we still want you to be able to do those things but we need someone that can complement um, what the other guys do and he always spoke to me a lot about being our midfield defensive transition runner um, didn't take me long to work out there was a lot of easy kicks to get playing that role as well Jim um, and I just sort of knew where I fit and he always acknowledged that role so um, it was obviously massive emphasis for us at Brisbane um, on our defensive side of the games, as it is with all really good teams. Lee Lee built his philosophy off the back of being able to win contests all mm. over the ground and being able to defend. And then as a byproduct of those two things, as, as all the good teams do, they can attack really well off the back of that. So um, I was very fortunate. I've, you've probably heard this story, but I remember jumping in the lift with Lee um, after the 2003 grand final and Justin Lepich was pretty much all the players we were going up to the function at Rod Laver, I think. And... Um, and we hop into the lift and Le- uh, Leper turns to Lee and said, um, you'd be nothing without us, Lee. Like, we've <laughs> we've made you. And he turned back to Leper and said, that's right, Leper, I'd just be the greatest player of the last century <laughs> without you blokes. And just the, the whole uh, lift just erupted. He was, he had the, he, there was always, um, he always found a right time to, to chip in with a joke and, and break the mood every now and then. Is there any truth to the story of 
he had the sheet out after a game and I think you guys might have just won or maybe just lost and he's gone through the stats and he's looked at hardball gets <laughs> and he's looked at Jason Akermanis and said, why don't you have any hardball gets? Is, this, is there any <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you that. Just to, I'll try and give you a quick story, but there's truth to it. So we, we were playing, we were coming up against Sydney and uh, every time we come up against Sydney in the previous couple of years before this moment, um, Sydney had smashed us. They played a game style where they kept the ball off us and... They actually played tags, heavy tags on all our, all our really good players and we all had our matchups. And he went through us versus them. Um, so it would be me. Um, he'd, he'd pit me up against Luke Ablett and say, these are your stats compared to Luke Ablett's when you're playing him. Acker compared oh, to, Crouch. to Crouch. You always got yeah. Crouch, yes. Yeah, Blackie compared to Kirky, yeah. those, those type of matchups. And he got to Acker and he said, Acker, you average three hardball gets a game, but against Sydney you average 0.6. <laughs> and he goes... But Lee, what you don't understand is that I'm that quick that I turn hardball gets into loose ball gets. He stood up in front of the whole group in the meeting. Straight face. <laughs> Straight face. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, he's a classic. Then, as we said, Mark Thompson, um, you know, eventually like instilled the, the Geelong way of football, which yep. a lot of people um, associate Geelong with high scoring and attacking play. Is that what he was like encouraging behind closed doors? Or was it? about the, the contest or the, the defensive effort? It was about everything yeah. with Bomber. He was very complete with what he coached. Obviously, the contest was the most important thing. But fortunate for Bomber, like, he was very hard at coaching that stuff, and you know this as, mm. a, as a young guy. Um, Joel Corey, you, you hear some of the stories. Even Kel, like, some of the stories that you hear Kel tell of Bomber early days. He knew what he wanted in a team. Um, obviously, being part of a really successful team as a player himself, he knew what it took um, to win the big games and you had to be good in a contest. You had to be able to stand up and win your own footy. Um, what the, the public probably don't understand about the Cats at the time too, they were always the best defensive teams those years as well. They were an enormous defensive unit. Everyone valued the hard things, whether they be tackles or shepherds or getting back to support the defence, those type of things. But he also, he coached with freedom. Like he, he really let the players express who they were and they really enjoyed playing footy under, underneath him. He's certainly a unique bloke. Were you in the coach's box when he started? He, he, <laughs> I was, yes. He, he, I know what you're going to say. Which one are you thinking? Because there's been many a times. All oh, right. Um, well, you obviously unrolled the salad roll a fair bit of times, but well, I wasn't there for that one. That no, was the year before me. The year before, but you might have been in the one where um, Shane Mumford. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking the, of. <laughs> so, um, you know, Shane Mumford when he started his career, people probably don't. Remember, because he's been at the the Swans as well, but started his career at the Cats. You want to just take people through oh, uh, just Bomber in, in a moment? I can't remember the exact situation. But or, Shane Mumford or, came off. He brought Mummy off. Yeah, what, so, yeah there, I mm. can't remember why, but he brought Mummy off and he, he hopped on the phone and goes, Mummy. And he goes, yeah, it's Bomber. <laughs> it's the big dog. It's the, the big kahuna, the big boss. <laughs> The big daddy. He kept coming with these, going on. these calls. Uh, we were all up. Well, not so much at the time. We, we all had a little bit of tongue-in-cheek laugh in the box, but after the game it was it was hilarious. Yeah, he, different cat, but like you said, he, he knew his stuff. But then the catch transition to Chris Scott, you sort of come, I guess, now into it. You call it a new age coach. Yep. Um, difference in coaching styles between, obviously, you, previous years you had Lee Matthews and Mark Thompson that... Uh, what would say the different style for, for Chris Scott compared to the others? A lot of the coaches value the same things. It'll just be the, the personalities that How differ. How they deliver it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, it's, a, it's a really good question. I know um, Scotty's... It's good t- I get to ask this to someone else because every time I... People ask it to you. Because yeah. I only ever played with, for two coaches and it was obviously Chris and Bomber. What, what were the things that you found? I, I agree with you. Both of them were, were massive on... Oh, massive on the contest. Yeah, the, it's almost like you build the game inside out. Absolutely. Um, you know, big on the contest, value players who win their contest, win their position, and also flexibility to play other positions. But it was just the delivery and the way they did it. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Jim. Sorry to cut you no, off. No, I think good. one of the things when when Scotty came here, he he thought the club was coached really well. Um, from that point of view anyway. There's a, a few things that he wanted to tinker with. So we were playing a man-on-man defence mostly um, at Geelong except for when we got the opposition into slow play attack where they'd uh, move more into a formation or team defence. And Scotty wanted to go to a com- complete team defence but he didn't want to lose what Bomber had, had spent the previous 10 years building up. He thought that what he'd coached was brilliant and we just wanted to, to build on it. 
in, in his own way. Or sorry, he wanted to build on it in his own way, and he's done that um, really successfully. What, what's the feeling like for you, obviously, premiership as a player and premiership as a coach? How, how are the feelings different, or are they the same? No, they are different. Like as a player, um, that moment, that that first sort of moment when the siren goes, you know what it's like, that exhilaration. As a player, it lasts for longer. As a coach, it doesn't last for as long. As a coach, you often um, drift to thinking about the players that missed out. So, you know, it, it, some of the, the players that have, have like a, uh, might be a Shannon Burns or one of those guys that have been such a massive part of, of your year, and you'd spend a lot of time with those guys. So yeah. you do think about those things a little bit more as a coach. And I guess if that exhilarating feeling doesn't last as long what what's the greatest reward of being a coach because you you've been a coach of the midfield you've been a development coach you, you've touched every base of, of coaching what what's the greatest reward being a coach um just do building get, the relationships for me is the best that sorry you, you go no no i was gonna ask do you get a, a greater thrill out of uh, seeing the game won or do you get a greater thrill out of say you call it player number 30 on the list making it to an AFL game and you know you've spent Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday mornings building him up yeah as a development coach you certainly it's certainly all about the development and seeing for for example I spend a lot of time Wally Buzz is one of my the players that I coach and just seeing him come through and, and build and grow as a player I, I get as much excitement out of watching that as, as I do us winning now, the higher you get up as a coach the more that the wins loss matter, matter but the as I said, when you're sort of more at the academy level with your coaching, it's all about development and building those relationships. Again, another massive achievement. You've ticked off every box in footy. 2016 Hall of Fame inductee. When you got the phone call or the letter for that, what, what was that moment like? Oh, I was absolutely shocked. I, shocked? Yeah, no, yeah, I was. Did, did you just... Did I read out every stat that you've had here in, or accolade you've had in your career yeah yeah look I, I know I was but part of that's because I was a part of a really successful team like the, I mean that which does, you're a big part of Nigel yeah I think <laughs> most of the individuals were but um, without that team success those individual things don't come and Lee was very good at selling that to us it was all about investment in the team and off the back of investing in the team and being part of a successful successful team things like those um, personal accolades or rewards will come off the back of it and for me it was just a, it was a really proud moment to be able to share that with so many people who had, had helped me along the way um, my family um, to have my girls there and I think I said on the night that you kind of because you muck around with your kids that particularly when they're young they're a little bit older now and they understand but they just see you as as dad so for them it was it was really nice for them to be um part of that and see what what dad was able to achieve um but it's more about the process you know mm. i wanted them to see that through hard work that that they can succeed in in whatever they want to as well and to share it with my mum and dad who'd been there for my whole life mate so do you reckon that was the first time you've actually had a chance to really reflect on, on your career? Yeah, absolutely. I, d I don't tend to look back much. Like, even now as a coach, week to week, I move on really quickly mm. um, and don't look back. Never watch much footage of the old stuff. Like, even if you would ask questions about what happened in those premiership years and who we beat on the way through the, the finals, I, I, I could barely tell you those teams, Jim. So <laughs> I'm one of those guys who, who doesn't remember much um, about what's happened in the past. It's all about looking forward to tomorrow. Now the next chapter of your life, you touched on family. I know you're a massive family man. You've got, you know, Claire and four beautiful daughters, Miller, Chloe, Meg and, and Ali. Yep. What, what, what now for you? You're assistant coach, but what's life hold for, for Nigel Appen? You know, part of it's enjoying um, the stage. I, I just spoke about that and look forward to tomorrow, but just living in the now, like the day, um, day to day. Like I just enjoy the fact that um, every day I get up to... I go to work. I love going to work. Um, I've got a really good workplace. I've got great players that I, I can associate with every day and, and help build my craft as a coach. But I've got a really supportive family behind me that I, that I love watching grow. And, and for me, at the moment, it's about nurturing them and being the best role model that I can be for them. You don't have any grey hair for someone who's got four daughters who are approaching well, teenage years. <laughs> well, <laughs> not... At, at, well, those <laughs> girls haven't started to bring home boys like Jim Bartell, so... <laughs> that was a nice boy, Nigel. It's, um... Now that they can play women's football, would you encourage them to play women's football? Yeah, they are playing. Yeah. Um, look, for me, mate, um, encouragement's not the right word. I want them to be able to do whatever they feel like yeah. they want to do, So, and I'll support that. I don't, I don't really mind what that is. If they want to play footy, then great. Um, if they want to ask for advice, then I'll give it. But at the same time, they're very young in their sporting career, and I just want them to get out there and enjoy it and learn for themselves without too much input from their dad. Like, I don't want 
to be one of those parents who sort of who impose themselves on their kids and say this is what I want you to be like I want them to find it out for themselves because that's the best part of growing yeah very cool and what's next any aspirations to senior coach or as as I know you well that you take a strong interest in development and drafting. Any other aspirations in footy? Yeah, I'm just starting to, to think a little bit more about what's um, Would you happen. senior coach? Uh, I would never say never, but at, mm. the sa- at the same time, I think I'm, at the moment, I'm better suited to um, the assistant role. I, I really enjoy getting really dirty and, and hands-on with the players and getting out with, with them. I'm not, that's not to say that in five years' time that I, I won't might mind stepping back and just managing. Um, but you could do a Neil Craig and put your footy shorts and pull your socks up and mouth guard in and be a senior coach. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I guess that the most enjoyable part for me is, is building those relationships and you do get to do that as a senior coach. It's just for me at the moment, as I said, I, I really enjoy the hands-on stuff and development coaching is probably where the passion is at the moment. But in a few more years, like similar to what Richo's done, I, I, don't, I don't know, like in five years' time, I, I might be, excuse me, he- keen to head down that path. Just on development coaching, what what's the difference like? Because you've seen clubs at different stages and, and come into them at different stages. Yep. What's development coaching like for a club? Like when you came in to Geelong, most players were senior and established, yep. to Geelong now, which has a, it's had a massive turnover in the last two or three years. I think there's 25, maybe 30 new players in the past three years. What What's the development like difference? Well, it's not too dissimilar. Like when I first came here, we had a... Um, Brendan McCartney was doing most of the academy work even as a, a senior assistant coach um, and then we, we brought in some other um, development coaches like Matty Egan and Maxi Rook and those types of boys um, who all do, did a fantastic job and and they used the, the senior players to mentor a hell of a lot. Um, I think that's something that Geelong have, have always done really well. David Whedon was, was here at the club and he ran a program called the Advanced Skill Development, which, as you know, Jim, all the, the senior players ran part of the, the younger guys' learning and mentoring was a really big part of it. Um, so we still run that type of program today. We get the senior co- senior players to, to help coach the younger guys. We have the smaller group meetings, um, which encourage more buy-in from all the players. Um, yeah, like not much has changed really uh, for us. It's about getting to work and getting your hands dirty and, and trying to get the senior players to, to mentor as much as they can. Now, I know you hate talking about yourself, but you're nearly at the end here. <laughs> we always do some quick questions yeah, right. to finish. They can be as quick or as long as you want. No I think, worries. I think Domsey went for 30 minutes. So. Did he? Yeah, yeah well, I'll try, well I, I've have got the capacity to waffle on a bit, so hopefully it's no, but not it's that all long. good stuff, mate. Yeah. So, who was your favourite footy player to watch growing up? I had a few. I started off as a Melbourne supporter. So really? Robbie, yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was a, and my brother were Melbourne supporters. Um I jumped ship after about four years because Richmond were going really well. So I moved to the Tigers. I was one of those blokes that jumped on the premiership bandwagons. So Robbie Flowers, uh, my favourite player for Melbourne. Is that why you wore a long sleeve as well? uh, Oh, family, more of a family tradition, mate. Growing up in Chilton, you know what it's like up in Beechworth, mate. It's it's very cold. and then when I moved over to the Tigers, uh, Morris Rioli and Dar Waitman and oh. Jimmy Jess, um, David Cloak, those the types of, Yeah, the ghosts. <laughs> I love the ghost. He was, he was a gun. And then sort of later uh, in my teenage years, I, I really enjoyed watching Matty Knights play, who I now work with. Oh, so do you tell him that or is... Uh, yeah, well, what I do say to him is that it's true about what they say, that you should never meet your <laughs> idols. <laughs> He'd appreciate that. He does. Yeah. Uh, this is always a hard one because it's hard to, to split players that you've played with. But who's the best player you've played with? Or if you can't split them, who are the best? Well, Vossi, um, just from his leadership point of view, uh, the point of view, his ability to be able to just go and lead by his actions. And, you know, when you think of it, a leader, it's the ability for someone to be able to, to influence others. And just by his actions, how he influenced the group and made everyone else stand tall and just be want to want to be part of the team and play like him. Not everyone could, mm. but you just you just walk taller playing alongside him. It's not that he's undersold, but do you think people don't reflect on how skillful he was as well? Uh, absolutely, because I, I know the leadership's the obvious one, and he's one of the all-time great leaders. Yeah. But he could do it all, Jim. Yeah. Um, he could go to full forward and and do what Paddy Dangerfield does against Hawthorne, you know, ten weeks ago, and kick five goals in a quarter if he if he wants to. He he could have went to fullback and played that position really well. He was super athlete um, when he was younger. A lot of people remember him with with his knee sort of buggered a bit at the end, but 
his ability to be able to have an influence on a game was just so profound. And the ability to bounce back from that broken leg. Yeah. Extraordinary. Abil- ability to bounce back. His resilience from anything, mate. He mm. just, just how he was as a person. He was the most determined bloke that you've ever seen. And fortunately, he instilled that culture in, in that Lions group. Now, you've coached a lot of players over your time. Who's the best player you've coached? And who's the one who's given you the most satisfaction? Uh... Or you gain, you can name a couple here. Again, for me, it's it's that whole 2011 midfield group. Um, I, I couldn't single out a player because I absolutely, and I mean this uh, when I say it, I just love them all. Like they all had the ability to um, just do what the team needed, uh, whether whether that was with you, Jim, just to say, uh, mate, we need you to, to play on Lenny Hayes for a quarter or, or we, mate, we're struggling to kick a goal. We need you to go forward and do that for us. We just had so many of those players that can do it. Um, Lingy as a captain okay. throughout those years was was just enormous. His leadership and as a coach, he was someone that you could go to and he'd understand exactly what you wanted. Was able to get it get it through. Um, Joel Selwood, um, I came into the club when he was a young player. Yep, um, that would have been his second year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and just uh, we built uh, an instant bond and it had a really good relationship. I could go through all of those teams. James Kelly for, for, for the amount of times that he he just bagged me and. <laughs> And just made the mood light in a you're, meeting. You're a big Andrew Mackey fan too. Yeah, right? oh, sorry. And in terms of relationships, Mac's probably the, one of mm. the closest relationships that I've built. We do a lot with him outside the club. I just love what he brings as a person yeah. and what he values and what he stands for. Yeah, ripping club man, isn't he? And great person as well. Yeah. Uh, best advice you have been given? This could be football, it could be non-football. Um, for me, it's just the... the values that my family instilled in me as a, as a young guy and it was really just to never forget where you come from and, and stay humble. I think that's really important um, when you get to the positions where you can potentially influence people. Um, and for me, like I was only a small, from a small town, mm. um, but to be always, to always be able to go home and have the people say that you haven't changed um, was really important to who I was. Well, you even went home and played a, a couple of senior games. Well, in I, played recent one, time. I played one. I would have liked to have played more, but um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. When I retired, Jim, I, yeah. it's funny. Like some players just want to continue playing. I was one of those players. I just I've You've I've done. got the most out of it, and I've I've had enough. Oh, didn't you? <laughs> Biggest lie the media has ever told about you. Now you. Pretty quiet guy, so I couldn't imagine them digging up too much on yeah, you. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of one, to be honest, mate. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. that's fine. And what is your favourite coaching cliche? Uh, I know... So my, I'll give you mine because yeah. we'll laugh at it. Bomber Thompson always used to finish off things with, there you go, I've said it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Can I've you give it. me some context? Yeah, like... so like, he'd say, and I won't name the player, <laughs> a player had kicked five goals early in his career. And we're going through the matchups, and he went, he got to this player, and I think Tom Harley or Matthew Scarlett was playing on him, and he said, he kicked five last week. He'll never kick five again for the rest of his career. There you go, I've said it. And that was his full stop on the end of everything. Mind you, that player went on to play over 200 games and kicked quite a few more bags of five goals. <laughs> there you go, I've said it. <laughs> there you um, go, I've said it. Well, you'd know this, but one of the things that I always say um, at the end, being sort of uh, raw into coaching and a little bit probably naive at the start my first couple of years at the whenever I said something at the end I'd always say does that make sense and I used to drive you boys nuts I know but I think it rubbed off on me I think I use that now yeah, so yeah. I think I go to people does that make sense yeah so, yeah, so. you've rubbed off on me then Nigel all those years um, being a family man and four daughters tends to soften you up a bit when was the last time you cried um I don't like I don't like uh, the passing of people that are really close to you. Yeah. So I always find funerals really tough. Um, but the last time I had a really big uh, cry was when I lost had to put down both my dogs. Oh, like no. within we had two um, Rhodesian Ridgebacks that the family had had for thirteen years, and putting those down, I was an absolute mess, mate. It was oh. no no good at all. No man's best friend of dogs. So I can right. understand that. Where do you see yourself in 20 years' time? I, I reckon you'd still have skin folds of 30, still bench pressing 140 and squatting 200. Oh, I still want to be healthy, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you'll, you'll be on healthy, mate. You're the, you're the other way. Yeah, well, I'd like to be, I'd like, yeah, apart from that and having my health and seeing my family grow and, and prosper and be health, healthy as well. Um, hopefully at that stage I'm, I'm bordering on retirement and looking at 
settling down in northeast Victoria, just at the back, back home. Yeah, but not in Chilton, but just maybe at the bottom of the snowfields, just somewhere yeah. up around Bright and and ready to retire and enjoy life, do the simple things. Oh, beautiful. And the final word, word, if you could change one thing about footy, what would it be? For me, mate, I, I love where footy is at the moment and I wouldn't change too much. The only thing I'd really like to see is I'd love the AFL to try in the pre-season just 16 aside. I'd, I'd love to see yeah. how that goes. I, I think the um, it'd be a great spectacle to watch, sort of similar to what they've done with cricket, you know, just make it a little bit more exciting and, and maybe shorten the the, the time on the time of the game. Probably leads to one just off the top here because you did it so unbelievably well. You went from Chilton to Brisbane... Would you like them to put in four-year, first-year contracts? So a kid gets drafted, he has to spend four years because we're seeing guys getting drafted into state, first contract, looking to come home. Yeah, I'd, I, I would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know it's hard like f- for the kids, but um, for me, I, th- I think this is just... I'm old school yeah. and the team that gives you the chance, you owe them more than two years. That's, that's how I feel. So if that can be built into the standard contract... Um, I think that would be a good thing. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'd like to see maybe four years. I, I think your first year, you, you're in the system, but you're guided through it anyway. Yep. You, you're not really completely exposed to everything. I think you're still trying to find your way through in your second and third year. Like Spot on. We we always highlight the exceptions. So like, not every kid's Joel Selwood or, or Chris Jard who are just brilliant from the start. You, you need those growing pains, but oh, I'm a bit with you. They've invested a lot of time and then... I think after four years, yet 21 to 22, then you can make that mature decision. And I think that's a really yeah. big point, mate. Even, even just the pressure that comes with making that decision, particularly when you're you're a big name player and about to leave after your second second year, that does put a hell of a lot of pressure on you. But I also think it allows the clubs to be patient as well, because often if you get a top 10 pick, there's this urgency to rush them out yep. and play them. You know, for the fans, oh, where's our top 10 pick? But if everyone understands you've got four years, well, you can. You can slow that pace down a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. You can develop a program that best suits the individual player. Exactly right. Well, thanks, Nigel. It's been great chatting to you. Um, you've got the longest CV in history. I've got about 10 pages in it's front of you. It's not as long as yours, mate. No, I don't know about that, mate. But I didn't but mind the barrels the other night too, by the way. Still got it. Are you thinking about making a comeback or not? Where to, mate? I'm, I'm fu- it took them 15 years to work out I'm too slow. Do you reckon <laughs> they're going to give me another chance? Well, speed's not the issue then, mate. It's footy smart. <laughs> yeah, They'll catch up to me too quickly. Thanks, mate, for the chat. Great to see you. Always good, mate. Thank you very much. We're talking footy.